0: Hello and welcome to episode number 49 of the Agro Innovations podcast, all things related and debated in agriculture. I'm your host, Frank Aragona. Today we have something a little bit different for the podcast. I have done an interview with KMO of the Sea Realm podcast, and this interview is the first part of two parts. Now, this first part, I will be interviewing KMO, for the Agro Innovations Podcast. And the second part will be an episode of the Sea Realm Podcast, which I believe is episode number 150 of the Sea Realm Podcast. And that is an interview uh, with KMO interviewing me, Frank Aragona, about the Agro Innovations Podcast and a number of different other issues. Uh, so if you are interested in that, It's a good introduction to the Sea Realm podcast, as I believe that it will be a retrospective on the Sea Realm podcast in general. So I will link to the Sea Realm podcast on the show notes for this episode of the Agro Innovations podcast, and you can head on over there. KMO releases his podcasts on Wednesdays. This podcast is being released on Monday, April 20th. The episode of the Sea Realm podcast will be released on Wednesday, April 22nd. And as soon as that comes out, I will be linking to that as well in the show notes to this podcast. So without any further ado, here is my interview with KMO of the Sea Realm podcast. In this episode of the Agro Innovations podcast, we are with KMO, who is the podcaster at the Sea Realm podcast. Camo, welcome to the Agro Innovations Podcast.
1: Thank you very much. Uh,
0: well, talking about the Sea Realm Podcast, why don't you take us a little bit through your own story prior to the Sea Realm and uh, tell us how that affected the development of the Sea Realm Podcast?
1: <laughs> prior to the Sea Realm. Well, I, um, from a young age, was just a fanatical devotee to the storytelling medium of comics, and I wanted to be a cartoonist and, uh, you know, a comic book author, and in my younger days, I wanted to do superhero comics, and as I got older, I wanted to do, uh, you know, more mature stuff, and for a while, my, uh, my material was pretty uh, adult in nature, adult being, you know, a euphemism for sexually explicit. And uh, all of that work is now sort of packed away. I mean, if you go digging through the Internet Archive, you can find some of it. But for the most part, it's no longer on display for the world. And um, I have spent, I can't tell you how many hours at the drawing board and at the computer creating comics. And it's just not a very economical way to create uh, an artificial reality or a virtual reality experience for people. You spend many hours at the drawing board to create just a couple seconds worth of you know, manufactured experience. Whereas with this audio medium, you know, I can spend five hours to create an hour's worth of uh, manufactured experience for somebody. And it's just a lot easier way to go. And there's also a room for spontaneity in podcasting that you don't really have in comics. I mean, in comics, you can be as spontaneous as you want, but then that spontaneity has to survive your spending hours and hours staring at it and considering it and thinking, do I really want to go with this? Whereas when one is talking like I am now, you know, something can come out, and particularly when you've got a tight schedule and a busy life elsewhere, you don't have a lot of time to mull over it and to edit it and to reconsider. You record it, you edit it once, you throw it up on the web, people respond to it. It's just, it's, it's just an easier and, for me, more organic and more engaging way to go. So this is how I communicate now.
0: Okay, now let's talk about the the Sea Realm itself and the history of the Sea Realm, which I think is probably a a timely question for me to ask you, because on your 150th episode, you are going to be doing a little bit of retrospective. So tell us how it got started and what you were originally trying to achieve with it.
1: Well, I'll go way back for you. This is uh, the early 90s, and I was doing graduate work in philosophy, And I took a course in uh, the work of Hegel. And I was reading the Phenomenology of Spirit and taking copious notes on it. And I had to write the word consciousness so many times that I just came to abbreviate it as the letter C. And that occurred to me, it, it occurred to me that that would be the good title for a comic strip. And I created a comic strip that ran in the university newspaper there for a couple of years. And it was just called C, the letter C. And I created a website to uh, try to propagate that comic project. And the website was called Sea Realm, the Realm of Consciousness. And it's a a term that I coined in an online discussion forum. This was the the Church of the Virus forum, which was devoted to uh, creating and propagating this atheistic, memetically based religion. And when I, went to, uh, when I expressed a desire to have a website of my own, the person who runs that site went and registered the Sea Realm domain name for me without even getting my input on it. So I didn't choose the name Sea Realm for my website. Somebody else chose it for me, but it uh, was perfectly applicable. And the themes that I dealt with in the Sea Realm comic were... Uh, they were a little more abstract than what you get in the Sea Realm podcast, except for when they were just carnally physical, and it was very much an ego-driven project, and I've tried to dial that back a bit uh, with the Sea Realm podcast, and I think with some success. Uh, as for the content, you know, I've been fascinated by this notion of a technological singularity for many, many years, before I was even familiar with the term technological singularity. Uh, The book by Greg Baer, Blood Music, I think it turned 25 a year or so ago. And um, if you go back and read that novel, it is basically the story of a biotech singularity where biological intelligent replicators get out into the world and transform the world beyond recognition practically overnight, which is the very definition of a technological singularity. And I've had that vision in my head for quite some time. So that was something I thought I was going to be talking about a lot at the beginning of the Sea Realm podcast. Uh, It turned out, however, that the people in the singularitarian community don't really want to talk to me. In fact, they don't really want to talk to anybody outside of the singularitarian community. Anybody who doesn't buy into their, what I take to be rather narrow vision of how things might unfold is just not really a welcome interlocutor in their conversation. So I never really did have much content uh, on the technological singularity in the podcast, but I started talking to people who had a very different take on technology, and these are the people in the peak oil community who, for the most part, are not in the least bit interested in hearing about how miraculous overnight transformations of the world via technology are going to save us from the poor resource allocation that we have pursued up to this point. So I've got a. You know, I've taken some of that to heart, but I also hold in the back of my mind this possibility that this uh, exponential progression that we're seeing in information technology and how it spills out into other areas of technology and life really could have some dramatic transformative effects. It's just that, as Bill McKibben says, most of the problems that we're facing now are a result of the unintended consequences of technology, and to think that technology is going to solve all of those problems is to think that for the first time in human history, starting tomorrow, that technology will stop creating unforeseen problems and only start solving the problems that it has created in the past. And you know, there's just no historical precedent for thinking that that is going to happen. Uh, in terms of sustainable living and agriculture and things of that nature, I, um, I have been a follower of the books of Michael Pollan for some years now, and Uh, I have undertaken some ill-advised adventures on the basis of his writing. For example, I tried to build my own house after reading A Place of My Own by Michael Pollan. And uh, after reading uh, The Botany of Desire, I just became a lot more interested in plants than I had been in the past, although in the past, without having any, any intellectual interest in botany or agriculture, I was just a plant fiend in terms of houseplants. I just was just surrounded by houseplants until I had children who, you know, as toddlers, would destroy them. And so the houseplants sort of went by the wayside. The, um, the other aspect of the Sea Roam podcast is, is probably the one that is most synonymous with uh, the show when people think of it in terms of consciousness, and that is the psychedelic aspect. And when I first started the podcast, I thought I was going to be talking a lot about prohibition and what a loser of an idea it is. But I got bored with that topic really quickly. I had some nice interviews in the beginning with some people from an organization called Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. And I had a very nice interview with Moises Naim, who is uh, the author of a book called Illicit I don't know the full subtitle of the book, but it's something about how traffickers and hijackers and counterfeiters have hijacked the global economy. And um, that was a very satisfying interview, and he's you know, a very high-profile person. He's the editor of uh, Foreign Affairs magazine. But again, after that, it, just, it seemed anybody who thought that locking up people for smoking marijuana is a good idea, is just not anybody that is going to be convinced by anything I have to say and not anybody I'm really interested in talking to or, you know, creating conversations for these people to consume. And that topic just went by the wayside. And I also, uh, I've been to Peru the past couple of summers after a long break from that practice to go there and drink ayahuasca. And I did some recording in Peru, and I did some recording with uh, people who would be appearing at this shamanism conference that I've attended the past two summers. And I did that by phone, and I actually did that with the help of another correspondent. And so the, not so much psychedelic, but entheogenic, shamanistic, animistic mindset crept into the Sea Realm, not against my wishes, but certainly to a degree that I had never intended. And that's uh, that's pretty much a summation of the Sea Realm podcast today.
0: Well, and I think it's also appropriate uh, that you're appearing on this podcast because we focused here mostly on relocalization, agriculture, appropriate technology, um, natural resource management. So I view the Sea Realm as, and, and also I, I should say there's this vibrant community of people interested in psychedelics and entheogens um, online, especially in the podcasting realm, and I view the C Realm as sort of a bridge between uh, a podcast like mine or a podcast like uh, the Vermont Commons Audio and something more like uh, Lorenzo's podcast, uh, The Psychedelic Salon. In the C Realm, you're dealing with all these different issues uh, concurrently.
1: And yeah, I originally wanted the podcast to be a bit of a bridge between the, uh, the hardcore artificial intelligence singularitarian community and a more sort of organic, fluid, psychedelic mindset, and that bridge never got built. But yes, other bridges got built via the C realm, and I'm quite pleased with them.
0: Now, tell me, why focus on consciousness?
1: Well, it just seems that um, more of the same is not going to get us through. More of what doesn't work doesn't work, but we're not going to do anything differently until what's seemingly working now is no longer working, or we start to see it as maladaptive before it becomes catastrophic. So I think if we're going to avoid a just really, really ugly global scenario, we need to transform more than anything our way of thinking.
0: You have mentioned frequently in your podcast, uh, the book Here Comes Everyone by Clay Shirky. What is the relevance of this book to your work?
1: Well, you could say that the Sea Realm podcast is uh, an exemplar of what Ray, not Ray, um, Clay, what Clay Shirky is talking about in Here Comes Everyone, in that with this laptop computer that is sitting on the seat next to me, you know, I'm, I'm recording this from my car, And now with the aid of my cell phone, which I'm using to talk to you, um, I can record interviews and I can edit them using this free software called Audacity on this seven-year-old laptop that I'm using. I mean, this really is a shoestring budget operation. And I can put it out there and people from all over the world can listen to it. And a community has grown up not just around this podcast, but as you say, around uh, the Psychedelic Salon and all of the podcasts that are represented over at the Grow Report forums, and there is a community of people who listen to all of these shows, or some of them more than others, and tune in every now and again to some of the shows that they don't listen to regularly, and um, yeah, there's, there's this great, I won't say it's you know, great in that it's momentous or that it's a huge number of people, but it's a really satisfying community online that just wouldn't be possible Without this technology and more importantly, without this technology being as ubiquitous and cheap and commonplace as it has become?
0: Right. And in my case, for example, I had not heard of your podcast till about episode 085 or 90, and um, I got in touch with you probably about three or four months ago. So it's definitely a, a network that's growing um, as we as we move along.
1: And yes, there are, uh, you know, it's a far-flung network because it includes people on, you know, who I've had on the program who have no truck whatsoever with psychedelics. And obviously, it includes a lot of people who have no truck whatsoever with uh, high technology and potential for technology to transform things in a beneficial way. But, you know, I've had uh, really a pivotal guest in the program, and he was on Episodes 19 and 20, I think, was Dmitry Orlov. And as a result of Dimitri Orlov being on the program, I was contacted by Albert Bates. And Albert Bates was on the program several times, and I you know, went to the farm to visit him there. And also, Albert introduced me to a variety of people, and that just set me on a, you know, a path. So now that I've interviewed uh, James Howard Kunstler a few times, and Sharon Astick, and John Michael Greer, and people who are familiar to the, uh, the peak oil community, but who don't really have anything to say about consciousness you know, outside of the, uh, the realm of how we interact with the environment and energy and whatnot, and people that probably don't want to have any association between their name and psychedelics, but they are now to some extent against their will associated with it just because they are part of this network of people who are concerned about energy and people who are concerned about resources and people who are concerned about the, the structure of our communities and how big and impersonal and really maladaptive in terms of answering the human interests they have to come. So while there's a lot of people like uh, Jim Kunstler who says, you know, he's, he's an enthusiastic pot smoker, but he had a bad experience with psychedelics in the 60s and never revisited it and has nothing to say on the topic other than, you know, he has nothing to say on the topic. Um, he's now, you know, whether I don't think he minds so much, but uh, definitely a name that looms large in the, pe- the minds of people who initially found his podcast because of their interest in psychedelics.
0: Sure. And you mentioned Dimitri Orlov, and uh, you just were talking about uh, James Howard Kunstler, uh, Sharon Astick. Uh, as you said, all familiar names uh, in the peak oil community. Now, a lot of these folks are considered, quote-unquote, doomers, and I've heard you use that word uh, many times in your podcast as well. Let me ask you what the reaction to your focus on some of the Doomer literature has provoked in your listeners and in some of the people in your everyday life.
1: Well, in terms of people in my everyday life, those who don't listen to the podcast, they don't have any clue as to what I'm talking about on the podcast, and I don't really make any effort... Uh, you know, to proselytize to people outside of the podcast because, you know, i let them know that it's there. i say if you're interested, check it out. But, you know, in a three-minute conversation that you have, uh, you know, in the break room at work, it's just not the the forum for introducing somebody to the concept of peak oil or, um, you know, a Malthusian corruption or or anything like that, really. Uh, I will hint to people that I think that the economic downturn is really just getting started and that we haven't even – come close to hitting bottom. Uh, And they look at me all wide-eyed at that and they, you know, turn away. But in terms of uh, the Doomer literature, particularly when it comes to discussing the possibility of a massive dieback, uh, something that I, you know, ironically call a Malthusian correction, a lot of people think that it's, it's wrong to even mention the possibility of it. One, because a lot of the people in the peak oil community while talking about the possibility of a dieback, are also rather passionate in their criticisms of the current system. And they see a dieback as a good thing because it's going to wreck the current system. And there is, you know, a certain glee that I have noticed in, in certain parties at the prospect of a Malthusian direction. And I have to say there are times when I get so fed up with commuting to this job and participating in this system that I find so distasteful that, You know, I sometimes long for the collapse, even if it means my own death. And, um, you know, people who are genuinely and justifiably humanitarian in their perspective and in their sentiments take offense at that, and I can see why they would. But at the same time, it can't be communicated often enough or widely enough that our current practice of producing food which has one person out of a hundred participating in the food production process is the practice of turning petroleum into food. And when we run low on petroleum, we're running low on our ability to produce as many calories as we have. And, you know, we've got more than 6 billion people in the world now, and that's a threefold increase from a couple centuries ago. And that is just absurd. And if one has not the least been conscious of the fact, you know, of the tie-in between, the massive increase in population and the utilization of this huge but now dwindling resource of fossil fuels, then one needs to be made aware of that. And that needs to be said time and again in every way that we can imagine so that it gets across to a broad spectrum of people. And I, don't, I, I take the position with the Sea Realm podcast to feed only the hungry. I don't want to force a message down the throat of anybody who's not interested in it. And I think part of the appeal of having such a a wide variety of topics that all fall under the general topic of consciousness. So, you know, you've got people who are interested in artificial intelligence and people who are interested in shamanism listening to the podcast and getting exposed to these peak oil ideas is that, um, I'm not having to force it on people who aren't interested, but I am introducing it to people who wouldn't otherwise have encountered it, but who do take an interest because of the context in which they
0: find it. Well, and I would also add to that camo that, um, the Agro Innovations podcast is not necessarily a refutation of the Malthusian con- the Malthusian correction concept, but uh, a recognition that there are alternatives, and those alternatives go along the lines of a shift in consciousness, um, but also just in knowing how to manage plants and agricultural systems and uh, agroecosystems. So the point is is that the malthusian correction is not necessarily inevitable we do have options but we definitely need to get cracking on those options
1: well without a change in consciousness specifically the idea that we can have all of these highly specialized roles that have so few of them involve the production of food without a shift in that consciousness i think the malthusian correction is inevitable but I would recommend one particular episode of the Sea Realm Podcast to your listeners who have an interest in this topic. and that, It's two episodes, but it's one conversation. It's my conversation with British author Colin Tudge. He's written a book called Feeding People is Easy, and he makes the argument that if we were to just engage in local organic agriculture using you know the, the high-yield techniques that have been developed over the past century, that we really could feed everybody without pesticide-based mechanical petroleum-fueled agriculture that involves a tiny fraction of the population but we do have to change the idea and the expectation that most people will be able to pursue careers and pursue full-time occupations that have absolutely nothing to do with the creation of the food that we all depend on
0: yeah and i would also add to that that um... You know, in my experience and in my environment, I have seen and personally uh, been involved in transforming that environment uh, to the point where it can produce a lot of food. And I know I'm not the only one out there, and there's a lot of other people who have uh, gone a lot farther along that path. And I would also say that um, we are sort of infants in this sustainable agricultural management process. Worldview, in the sense that there is so much that we can do, and there's so little that we actually understand, that uh, you know, we we don't actually know how far we can push the productive envelope. But I, but I would agree with you that uh, without the shift in consciousness, it, it's going to be a very tenuous proposition. Yes. Now, tell and me. Go ahead. go ahead. Well, I was going. Well, well I was going to ask you. Uh, <laughs> What is shamanism, and how is it relevant to modern life and the things that we are talking about?
1: Well, what is shamanism? First, I don't present myself as a person who is uh, preeminently qualified to answer that question. And second, any full answer I tried to give you would take more time than we have available here, but I will try to be concise. Shamanism is a practice of people in what we now consider to be the third world or the pre-industrial world. And the role of the shaman is, uh, it has many aspects to it. One aspect is healing. So the shaman is somebody who has some knowledge of uh, medicinal practices, specifically what plants found in the local environment are, you know, good treatments for what ailments. But also the shaman alters his or her consciousness in a way that they seem to make contact with non-human intelligence and um, interact with non-human intelligence in a way that allows them to do things that other people can't do and hopefully to benefit their community. Although the, the shamanistic practice that I'm most familiar with is the, uh, you know, the practice of the Amazon, and there is a lot of uh, what's known as... Uh, Bruharia or, or dark magic practice there, and it's it's often a very competitive and ego-driven practice, and the, the shamans are uh, you know rivals of one another in many cases, and um, to some degree that was pre-existing, but it's also been exacerbated by the fact that in this very poor environment now that there's this this class of uh, world travelers who you know, go to great lengths to seek out what they think of as authentic spiritual experiences. They don't spend a lot of money by their standards, but by the standards of the third world, they're throwing around fortunes. And, you know, I've, I've paid $50 for a session of a, you know, with a curandero and there was 20 people in the room. And, you know, in that one night, he's just made more than the village next door is going to make all year. So, there's a lot of competition for the tourist trade between the Corinderos, and they spend a lot of their time and attention uh, attacking one another via their, uh, you know, their esoteric arts, and also just via gossip and whatnot. And uh, I don't know of any specific cases, but I wouldn't be surprised to learn that there was also some physical violence that went on, you know, as a result of this competition. But uh, that's that has strayed far from your, your general question about what is shamanism, though. So. If you've got a follow-up, go ahead.
0: Well, I just wanted to ask you what you see the relevance of that is to uh, these other themes that we're talking about.
1: Well, the uh, the Western mind, when it particularly the you know the dualistic Western mind, when it looks at shamanism, to the extent that it takes seriously the idea that the shaman is communicating with a non-human intelligence, we think that you know the shaman is is entering into a supernatural realm and dealing with some other world or something like that, or some other sort of extra dimensional alien ha- intelligence or something. But the, um, I can't really say the fact of the matter, but it seems like a, the fact of the matter might be that what the curandero or the shaman is actually making contact with is the natural world and is the intelligence that is manifest in the natural world, in living, growing things, in plants, in animals, in ecosystems. And to that extent, they are far more uh, connected to and in active participation with their environment rather than in a domineering command and control relationship with the environment, which is at the basis of global corporate capitalism and in general just the – the Western paradigm of the conquest of nature.
0: Now, let's wrap this up here with one final question. Uh, Tell me what you see the future of the Sea Realm podcast being.
1: Hmm. I would like for it to be I would like for it to continue in its current form. I mean, I just like the format. I like having these conversations. I like recording them and sharing them with people. I like the fact that musicians now send me their music to use on the show, and some of it I, I really enjoy and you know listen to long after I've used it on the show and won't be playing it again. Uh, at the same time, I really, really hate the day job and don't want to do it anymore. So as much as I have failed to monetize the podcast, and I think that's what uh, Charles Eisenstein would call the noble refusal, you know, to, to basically tempt it, um, I would very much like to have some sort of career whereby I have a lot more free time and where I get to speak to audiences. Uh, I do enjoy public speaking. I've done a fair amount of it, you know, talking about other topics, and I'd like to bring the topics that I cover in the Sea Realm, you know, to people via that venue. And it seems like the most um, well-mapped-out route to a career like that is to write a book. But for me, speaking, the content of my speech and my voice are so much intertwined for me in my experience of creating the, the material that forms the Sea Podcast that I've thus far just not found the gumption to sit down and actually turn this huge library of content that I have here into a book. I mean, I've had many of these interviews transcribed, and you can find them uh, on a blog that I created. It's uh, C-realm at blogspot.com. But um, just being a, a book-writing author right now just is not the path of least resistance for me. It's not the course of action that I, uh, I'm just naturally onto. to. So I don't know how I'm going to transition away from the hated day job to doing something like this full-time, but that's where I want
0: to go. Well, KMO, we wish you the best of luck, and we will be linking to the Sea Realm podcast on our podcast page uh, so people will be able to go there and listen to all of the previous episodes. You're on episode 150, so if uh, someone is a new initiate to the podcast, they'll have plenty of back material to listen to. And I want to thank you for what you do, and I want to wish you the best of luck with uh, the future of the Sea Realm and everything you just told us about, and thanks so much for joining us. Frank, it was my pleasure. That marks the end of my interview with KMO of the Sea Realm podcast. If you found this interview interesting, then head on over to the Sea Realm, as I said at the beginning of the show. Uh, This Wednesday, there will be a release of an interview that KMO did with me, with Frank Aragona, um, talking about many of the same themes. Uh, And it's a little bit of a change-up for the Agro Innovations podcast. As most of you know, mostly we deal here with... uh, Issues related to agriculture and sustainable resource management, that will continue to be the theme of the Innovations podcast. But uh, like I said, a little bit of a change up, and I talk about some themes that I don't generally talk about on this podcast or elsewhere. So if you enjoyed this, then go head over to the Sea Realm podcast and check out episode number 150. This episode of the Innovations podcast is released under an attribution share alike license to learn more about that you can visit creativecommons.org and a link to that license is on the Innovations podcast page at slash uh, podcast so you can uh, link through through there to learn more about that i have also set up a link on the right hand well a couple of links on the right hand side of the Innovations podcast page Linking to the Global Swadeshi Network. Now, the idea here is, as I mentioned a couple of podcasts ago in episode number 47, to get some people involved uh, in discussion on these different themes that are covered in the AgroInnovations podcast. And the Global Swadeshi Network seems like the ideal place to do that because the uh, the themes are very much related to the themes that we talk about in the Agro Innovations podcast. Now, I have not taken too much initiative on that yet. If there's anybody out there who's a member of the Global Swadeshi Network and is willing to collaborate with me on this, I would much appreciate it. I am currently trying to organize a podcast interview with the folks who are the creators and maintainers of the global Swadishi network. So that might be a good time to kind of jump into that with a little bit more enthusiasm and try to get more user participation for that. So stay tuned for that though. There, there will still be some more movement on that. And again, if anybody has uh, the will to the will and the desire to, to move that forward, then please get in touch with me. You can get in touch with me at podcast at agronovations.com. There's also a contact link on our webpage. Visit us at uh, www.agroinnovations.com. Also, uh, I'm sure that there are some listeners of the Sea Realm podcast out there that are listening to this podcast for the first time. And if you like what you hear, uh, welcome and please continue to join us. Uh, we always want more listeners. And especially if you are the segment of the Sea Realm co- podcast that is interested in themes of relocalization and sustainability then this is a great place to be so and if not um well you know thanks for joining us for this episode and we will see you over on the other side on episode number 150 of the sea realm podcast i'm frank aragona this is the agro innovations podcast thanks so much for joining us till next time saludos